You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Monster House presents... Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering Monster Talk listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk and look through their incredible collection for your selection. Download and start listening on your phone, computer, or tablet. That's audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. Monster Talk is supported by listeners like you. Find out how you can contribute via Patreon or with reviews at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Your contributions, large or small, make a huge difference. Thanks. Introducing Hasbro's Ouija. Is that the one where you talk to ghosts? It's actually pretty fun. Is there a spirit here? Oh my god. There are only three simple rules. Never play alone. Spirit, can you hear me? Never play in a graveyard. We played in a graveyard. And always say goodbye. Good night, Romeo. With Ouija, you'll make new friends. Hi, friend. Connect with the other song. Experience the unknown. And with a little practice. Look, Mom, no hands. You'll be an expert in no time. It's fun for the whole family. When's the best time to play Ouija? Always. <laughs> that tickled. Hasbro's Ouija. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Thanks to everyone who came out to my panels at DragonCon this weekend. And a special thanks to Nathan Andrew, who gifted the show with some very cool new microphones, which work with my portable Zoom recorder. 
I'm looking forward to doing more recordings at events going forward, and hopefully these will give Monster Talk the ability to capture multiple speakers in the same room with a more equalized audio level. I didn't even know daisy chain microphones existed, so I'm excited to have this in our recording arsenal. That audio you heard in the introduction was a commercial for the film Ouija, Origin of Evil, a sequel to the 2014 game-changing film Ouija. Our guest for this episode is Robert Murch, an expert on the subject of Ouija and talking boards. He was also a consultant for the movie Ouija, its sequels, and many other movies and TV shows that have touched on this subject. He's been on Coast to Coast AM, he's collaborated with toy companies, he's worked with museums, and has got a museum of his own of talking boards in his home, displaying many samples from his collection. We've got a video of that which I'll link to in the show notes, the first of what we hope to be a lot more video content from Monster Talk. This is episode 199. Our next regular episode will be 200. I tried to make our 200th coincide with our 10th anniversary, but circumstances didn't allow for that delightful symmetry to come to pass. I'm going to try and get a Patreon bonus episode out into the regular feed before that if I can, because I thought that was a fun interview. That was a chat with writer and game designer Kenneth Height, who I got to meet at DragonCon, and we discussed on that episode HP Lovecraft and Gaming. I've got a rough cut of it up on Patreon right now, but I'm going to replace that audio with something a little bit tighter, and I'm going to add some cool high-resolution art from Kenyon Martin. He's produced a very nice painting of Shoggoths playing Cthulhu Wars, which I'll include as a high-res download. But let's get to the talking boards. Since the film The Exorcist came out in 1973, Ouija boards have been synonymous with evil and possession but they have a long and fascinating history that goes back into the 19th century and the rise of spiritualism. We've talked about spiritualism many times on the show and its huge impact on our culture. I'd encourage you to check out our Scattered History of Magic series, which covers that history in more depth. As I'm developing the new Monster Talk website, I plan to give some grouping around the show notes so that you can quickly find episodes about specific topics. At DragonCon, I was on a panel about folk horror, and one of the panelists commented that she thought we live in an increasingly secular world. If I remember correctly, I think she was trying to say that folk horror, movies like The Wicker Man and Midsummer, are pushing back against this rise of secularism by fiction because the real world's not magical anymore. I politely dissented with her, and I told her that in my experience, plenty of people are still quite frightened of the things that they see as demonic or evil. The next day, this morning... I see a news story that a Catholic school in Tennessee has banned the Harry Potter series because the books are actually demonic grimoires. Now, as easy as it would be to say, ah, look, it's true, um, I'm concerned that the story might not be entirely accurate, and it certainly wouldn't be news if it wasn't an outlier case. But it does provide a sharp, fresh example of how things that most people might consider to be fun can be misread as evil, magic, satanic, and dangerous when viewed from a certain perspective. While my fellow panelists felt we live in a world that's increasingly secular, I'm more concerned that we're entering a new satanic panic. It may not be as pervasive as it was in the 1980s, but there are many people who still see the world as a place of spiritual warfare. And the weapons aren't swords and knives. They're books. They're games. It's music. It's art. I'm concerned. I hope this interview can help demystify some of the legends around Ouija boards. But if you live in a world where reading Harry Potter is a gateway to hell, then you're already up Planchette Creek if you listen to this show. 
I saw Robert Murch give a talk about Ouija boards at CryptidCon last year, and it took a while to get it booked, and then it took a long time to get this episode out the door, but here we are. Hopefully you're all game, and none of you will be bored. So let's get to the... Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, Robert Merch. We're just going to call you Merch, but we're so glad you finally got to make it here. So I've been wanting to talk to you since we met at uh, CryptidCon. I loved your yeah. talk, and I'm just excited to share your knowledge of these interesting devices uh, with our audience. Thank you so much for having me. It, it's, it's an honor to be here, and I'm so sorry it's taken so long. Completely my fault. Just busy life and craziness, but... Um, but it was wonderful meeting you, and CryptidCon was awesome. And what a strange place to meet, because you wouldn't normally think Ouija boards and cryptid. <laughs> so it's really... We it was think a, Ouija it was, boards all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, how did that come about, actually? I'm friends with uh, Nick Groff, and um, I am represented by... Uh, creepy people management. So Lee at Kirkland and uh, Jeff Waldridge and Jennifer Kirkland. And I think they just kind of wanted, they may have had an extra space and just wanted me to come down there and see how they could merge everything. So, it, and it was our last uh, time to try to raise money for the gravestone we were putting in for the woman who named the Ouija board. So it was, it was kind of a talking board, historical society, last charity run, and I think that's why they did it, which was great. That's neat, though. I really had a good time there, and I enjoyed your talk quite a bit. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and so you're officially a creepy person, then. I, I've Being been represented so by things. creepy people management. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been called so many things. Yeah, <laughs> I, me too. I, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess I am. I'm creepy because I'm surrounded by Ouija boards and and live in a uh, basically a museum to the Ouija which board. I, so, to see, so that's how I got to meet you. That was around Christmas time, and you had a uh, a Christmas party at your house, and uh, so I got to see part of the museum. And I thought that was the museum in its entirety, but only to find out that was just a very small selection, and that you have a lot more. But I guess we'll get into all of this. So I, we should mention though that you, for people who haven't seen it, uh, Karen's husband uh, recorded a video and edited it uh, about your museum. I think it's really kind of a fun little intro. I'm sure, like I say, it only shows a portion of what you have, but wow, it's uh, that's an impressive collection and a, a, a really amazing display that you put together. Does your spouse have any issues with uh, with the uh, whole? talking board museum in your basement or is that well so i met my husband um back in fool oh, that's gonna be tough 1992 1993 so i he only knew me collecting so it it, it, it it's no surprise to him gotcha. He's lived through it. he started you know he met me when i had 10 boards and now i have over a thousand wow the, not only i don't just collect boards i collect everything that helps us track Ouija and talking boards or spirit boards or witch boards through time so that we can see how that's changed, how people view it is changed and how pop culture sees it. And then, you know, how it's evolved in the movies. So that's the newspaper articles and magazines and advertisements and music. So it's, it's kind of this 
a huge obsession or possession. You know, I'm definitely <laughs> the Ouija board runs my life. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> so, do you ever get bored? Every chance I get. Right. <laughs> oh, so bad. I told so you bad. I warned you. You know, what, you know what's funny? I my license plate has always been, except for when I came to Colorado, um, has always been O U I J A. And um, it's really cool because in Massachusetts, the tagline is the spirit of America. So that was great. Oh, and then when I lived in cool. uh, New Hampshire, it was Ouija, live free or die, which everyone thought got a chuckle out of that as well. But, um, you know, when I came here, I, I wasn't able to get it because a friend actually owns that license plate. So now mine just says merch. So if you see merch driving by, you'll know it's the merch mobile. Um, but I always wanted to get my husband to get B.O. R E D so that I could park next to him and have Ouija board. Oh yeah. Yeah. So nice. <laughs> he, he, he's never gone for it, but I, that's Aww. what I thought. <laughs> I like this out of that. It is. But I guess yeah. we should start off by asking you, what is a talking board or a Ouija board? And should we say Ouija or Ouija? That's perfect. So, um, Ouija or Ouija, uh, is basically a trademark. Uh, it's currently, used or currently owned by Hasbro, uh, but it's been in continuous use since 1890. And it doesn't matter if you call it Ouija or Ouija. It was originally pronounced Ouija, but what happened is in the 1920s, people started saying they were ouija when they would play. And so Ouija started, people kind of like adopted that. And the makers, the William Fold um, company was really smart. They didn't fight what the public was saying, what they did was put right on the back of the box, you know, whether you call it Ouija or Ouija, it still spells fun, still <laughs> spells fun. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of a smart marketing. Um, mm -hmm. But so Ouija is a talking board. Talking boards predate Ouija. Uh, in 1886, we have articles showing that it leaks out of the spiritualist community into pop culture. So these type of boards were being used by you know spiritualists or early paranormal investigators ouija became the most popular talking board and um it's outlasted every single one because it's really the only one you've ever heard of right <laughs> yeah that's so interesting well can you talk about that a little bit the i, I i'm interested in technology and how it evolves and uh <laughs> we've had on uh, people talking about the technology behind ghost hunting and these various things. And, and sometimes they, you know, repurpose devices that were used for something else. And then sometimes they develop things that are specific for these purposes. How, how did, because from my understanding, you know what, I don't want to give away anything. So just say, how did this device come to be? What sort of was the product evolution of, of this, this uh, yeah. tool? tool? Well, it's or whatever you want to. This is, is a, a lot of fun. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I'm a tool, yep. so yeah, well, that's perfect. Um, you know it, what's really interesting is so we'll just go back. Talking boards are an American invention, as far as we know. So they did not. They are not ancient. Oracles are ancient. Pendulums are ancient. Um, talking boards, if we define them as something that's flat that has letters, numbers, words on them and something that you touch moves to point out those letters. Let's give that as kind of the broad definition of them. That really doesn't happen until we see kind of in America, um, though there are versions in other places, but they get complicated because again, you've got to kind of figure out what's the difference between a pendulum and a talking board. Otherwise 
the world would get really, really big as far as talking boards go. So talking boards come out of the modern spiritualist movement in the United States that starts in 1848 in Hydesville, New York with the Fox sisters. And they were actually incredibly close to a Ouija board right out of the gate. So this happens in they're living in this cabin. These three little girls, they hear noises. So what would you do if you were a kid and you heard these noises? They start trying to talk to it. And to their surprise, they start saying things like, okay, knock once for yes and twice for no. And then they'd ask questions. And they were getting what they believed to be intelligent answers. And so that, that takes a long time. So spirit communication in the early days took forever, just like texting. It's kind of like this is the first kind of um, – you know, wireless communication. So it's taking a really long time. And what happens is these Fox sisters, they lay out alphabet cards and they use their fingers or a pencil and they point and they would get a rap or a knock when they were over the right letter. So, so close, right? The problem is, is between that moment and say the 1870s, all kinds of spirit communication devices pop up and including the planchette, which Today, we only know the planchette is a little movable indicator on the Ouija board, but it's had a whole life long before the Ouija board kind of sucked it in. And um, so the planchette comes from France in about 1853, and the planchette itself, before the Ouija board, so we see it today having a big hole. Well, back then, it would just be this large heart-shaped device that had casters or rollers on the bottom. And at the point, there would be a small hole for a pencil. And you'd put the pencil in, put your hand on the planchette, ask a question to the spirits, and they would write out your answers through you. So spirit writing or automatic writing. So people would ask questions and they would write them out. But think about that. Like, what's your handwriting look like? I mean, they're not even teaching script or uh-huh. cursive schools anymore. So it's terrible. Imagine writing out with your hand on something, not even holding the pencil. So it's really hard and there's no breaks in the writing. And and then what happens is, is these devices that would start pointing out letters come up and these are early talking boards and like the 1870s. And when we have something from the 1850s, real early that start to, but it's very complicated and it's also like a pendulum. But if we get to putting your hands what we think of as a Ouija board today, you're getting real close to the 1880s, 1886. And these devices were born out of the idea of parting the veil and talking to the dead. Now, Ouija was not marketed that way. So talking boards, say, get real popular from 1886 to 1890. In 1890, Ouija gets its name. It starts getting manufactured in Baltimore. The people, the originators out of this, they realize that the spiritualist community or the paranormal community of the time, they're small. They're not huge. So if they're going to market a product and they want you to buy something that up until then, most people just made at home, they have to go bigger, right? They got to think much bigger than just the spiritualist community. So they market this device and, and they don't tell you how or why it works. In fact, they're very upfront and honest about it. They say, We do not claim to know how or why Ouija works, but with your greatest patience, it will exceed your greatest expectations. So what they do is they market it as like an oracle. You know, ask, does Bobby like me? 
Now, if you want to use it to talk to the dead, that's your prerogative. The makers don't care. The makers of Ouija have never cared like how you use it as long as you buy it. Because remember, it's a product. So Ouija or Ouija is actually one of the most quintessential capitalist moves that has ever happened in the paranormal world. They took something everyone was making themselves, marketed it to everyone, and you're still talking about it today. You know, you would never be having me on uh, any podcast if they didn't do what they did, which was to take it out of the homes of spirit communication um, believers and put it into everyone's home. Neat. Such good points. Didn't really think of it in terms of the butt. Yeah, Americans will do anything for a buck. <laughs> yeah. So you, you've said this is a homegrown invention. Um, do other countries or cultures have have they invented their own unique versions of this of the Ouija board? Absolutely, um, it, we they do. Like uh, again, it. What's funny is is the the spiritualist movement. It, it it's a kind of goes back and forth. But in 1848, when it explodes here, I mean, think about it. The the early Associated Press picks up on these little girls talking to spirits, and then suddenly, these stories are everywhere. Everyone's talking to ghosts. People are investigating all over. It is a huge phenomenon right out of the gate. That also affects Europe. And so, even though they've been dealing with things like the planchette, you know a little bit like around that time it, it really america really influences all these other countries and so we do see other devices and people even selling planchettes with like foldable pieces of paper that they could kind of add on or, or move out a little pointer on the planchette and use it just like a ouija board and there's kokori in japan and um Kakao in vietnam asia uses it quite a bit, um, a little different, you know, where um, Kokori, they might use a coin and all the symbols and Japanese characters are all around it. And you put your finger on the coin with other people and you ask Kokori and Kokori answers the question. Uh, Kakao in Vietnam is really interesting because they use a stick and um, they put the kind of letters on the ground. But the real difference between all of the other cultures than the United States is they don't believe in playing with spirits. That is a very Western American thing. And it is considered really disrespectful to a lot of cultures, and they don't get it. You know, Americans it, were really interesting bunch because we find humor in tragedy. It's the only way we know how to really get our arms around it. I'll give you, for instance, like I, you know, I was, I don't remember how old when the Challenger exploded, but I'm telling you, by noontime after the challenger exploded kids were already telling horrific jokes why do we make fun of things that are really terrible because it's it's again how we deal with them and so americans it's not it doesn't surprise me at all as a historian looking back through time that we turn spirit communication into a game you know is it a toy is it a game for all your listeners out there they might be surprised to know that Ouija has been continuously sold in toy stores since 1890. Children have always, it's been marketed to everybody. In the 80s, tons of great commercials, like hilarious commercials in the 90s as well, showing kids using Ouija boards. Ouija, it's just a game, isn't it? Isn't it? Parker Brothers kind of fun. We 
always look through the lens of today. And today, with all the movies and Hollywood, and you know, now it's not just ghosts, it's demons. And we have this idea that if you use a Ouija board, boom, demonic possession. And we also don't want that happening to kids. But kids have been playing with them since the beginning. And in fact, the, the first manufacturers, the Kennard Novelty Company, the box covers would show entire families, including little kids holding uh, teddy bears, right there at the board. And, and again, I can explain to you, people are like, wait a minute, is this true? Is this guy making this crap up? I'm telling you, like, this is fact. The difference is the Ouija board has never changed. No, same with talking boards. We've changed. Our lives have changed. And our comfort level with death has changed. In the 1880s, coming out of the Civil War, massive death. It affected every family. Everyone lost a father, a son, a brother, a nephew, a grandfather, a cousin, everyone. And some of these soldiers went away and didn't come back. And the Ouija board answered questions that nothing else could. Why else do you go to an oracle? An oracle, You go because you want to get an answer. And when nothing can tell you what happens to your family members, you really will try anything. Why not, right? What's, what could it hurt? And so if you look at why talking boards came out, which was wanting to know answers, think about why you might talk to the dead, right? Maybe someone died suddenly and you never got to tell them how you felt. You never got to say goodbye. No closure. What if the last thing you said to someone was something horrific? Just You just got into one of those fights where you said every horrible thing you could, and that person died, and you never got to say you were sorry. And then think about what's going to happen to my loved ones. But the most important question when we deal with the paranormal, what's going to happen to me? The Ouija board potentially offers answers to those questions. Now, there's no proof. No one's going to prove that the spirit world exists through a Ouija board. If they did, it would have been proven in 1890. Same thing today. It's all belief, and it's intention, and it's what you bring to the board. But imagine, you know, when, in, back in the 1800s, you'd have 12 children and six of them would die. And when they died, you dress that child up in their Sunday best, and you took one last picture with the rest of your live family, and you put that picture on the wall. Now, if you did that today, someone would call Child Protective Services. <laughs> but death was so ingrained in your life. It was everywhere. And when someone died, there was no funeral parlors. That didn't happen until post-Civil War. So if you died, you were laid out in your parlor. And you change the ice, and you help bury them. Now, here's a. This will help everyone understand again. Children playing with Ouija boards, and is it a game? And that's this whole debate. We'll try to untangle it real quickly by just this. The funeral parlor was born out of your parlor. They took that name. So when the funeral parlor left your house, so did the parlor which was the room everything happened in. In fact, we became so uncomfortable with that name, potentially subconsciously, we renamed the room. So you tell me, in your house, what room today would be the parlor? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I guess Americans would say a lot of living room. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And I didn't want Australia, to jump in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and Australians would say uh, a lounge room instead. And to this day, I still say lounge room. Lounge room. Yeah, there you go. But in America, we say living room. Yeah. Because yes. took yeah. death out of the house. Such a good point. As, as this happens, death gets further away. I just just think again. Let, like we'll pull back from talking boards for a second. It just puts us in the right frame of mind to talk about this. Just think today. We dye our hair. We don't want to look old. We have plastic surgery. We eat better. We live longer. We don't allow children to go to funerals because we say things like, let them be a child as long as they can. Well, in the 1800s, guess what? When you were 12, you were working. There was no childhood. It's totally different than it was today. And, and they were not shielded from death because <laughs> it was likely to happen to them. And they saw it happen to their brothers and sisters. And if they were lucky enough to live, life expectancy certainly wasn't what it is today. So as we've, every year, as we live longer, as we conquer disease, we get less comfortable with death because it's not in our face anymore. That makes things scary. And that makes Hollywood make the best movies ever. And, and I've, had, I've been really lucky to work on a lot of TV shows and movies. And so if people blame Hollywood for making the Ouija board look evil, I'm part of the problem. I, I, I do Thanks, work on these <laughs> But, you know, if you, if you start to look at movies, does art imitate life or does life imitate art? People started to believe things about the Ouija board that had nothing to do with most of its life. Like rules of the board, you know, always say goodbye, never use in a graveyard, never use alone. That had nothing to do with its life. Most of the Ouijisticians, they don't pop up until like 1973 when a little movie that you've probably heard of hit called The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Now, in this movie that's supposedly based on a true story, right, this little girl plays the Ouija board alone. Real, real short segment in the movie. But afterwards, she gets possessed by a demon. And that really tips the scales on Ouija. It had been being depicted as more and more dark. It starts off being really fun in silent movies. It's a date thing. It's hilarious. It spells out things that people don't want other people to know. It helps solve mysteries. And by the 60s, we'll start to see it get a little darker. And as we get into the early 70s, that hint of a little girl using the Ouija board by herself, then gets possessed by a demon, changes a lot. You know, like I said, it's been moving in that direction, but that's kind of like the straw that breaks the camel's back. So in America, if we'll talk about, they start to look at the Ouija board that way. And kids all over America and all over the world suddenly become reinterested in the Ouija board because why? They all want to see their friends' heads spin around and spit up split pea soup. And so the Ouija board <laughs> goes through yet another boom. This, uh, this idea about the transfer of information from, from fictional accounts uh, back to uh, what you might call experiential accounts, right? That, that's, uh, that's come up on our show a lot because uh, we, uh, over the, we've been doing this show for about a decade. We've really started to see a lot of patterns around how uh, media is both influenced by and influences uh, all of these sort of paranormal or 
fringe or weird topics. So mm -hmm. um, I, I find that that resonates quite a bit. And mm -hmm. I, I, I'm curious, though, about you were talking about the way that the Ouija board is used uh, in Asia. And I, I don't think I quite understood that. What they do is let, let's talk about in Vietnam um, and Kakao. That is seen as something very serious. Like in a lot of cultures, every culture that's ever existed on the earth has believed in some form of deity, even if it's as simple as just the sun, right? That's a god. Or spirits. There's a spirit world. Once we kind of could wrap our brains around someone dies and goes away, those civilizations grow up trying to talk to them. In fact, a lot of civilizations, Africa, for instance, really important to talk to your ancestors, to show reverence to your ancestors, to bring gifts to your ancestors. And Kakao is part of that. And so in Asia, particularly, you're talking to family members. You do not go and say, does Bobby like me? That would be seen as like really, really awful. And you don't ask to talk to other spirits. You're, you're paying homage to your lineage. And so spirit communication in a lot of the rest of the world is seen as incredibly um, solemn. In America or Western civilization, it's not. It's like, hey, we got nothing going on. Hey, you want to uh, hunt for ghosts? Okay, cool. Let's go. And we ask questions because we're just trying to get answers. We're, we're not using it from that same perspective of talking to uh, our ancestors to show some form of reference to it. So it, it's, it's unique. And in Australia, for instance, um, when Parker Brothers bought the Ouija board in 1966 from the William Full Company, they had massive distribution. So suddenly the Ouija board was literally getting sold all over the world. The official Ouija board, boom, everywhere. It literally, it was like a resounding thud in Australia. Why? Because culturally in Australia at the time, and even now, I, I was there a few years ago, and it was very, very interesting to see how their perception of spirit communication and paranormal was. Um, it, it, it just didn't fly. There was no way to market the Ouija board as a game to a culture of people who didn't believe you should be playing with spirits, period. And so after a couple of years, it just went away. It's it's to this day, it is very hard to find the official Ouija brand. You can find it, but it is still not accepted in major toy stores. You have to go to a kind of like niche stores, like in the US, it'd be like a Hot Topic, Spencer's, that kind of thing. So so again, it, it's not just it's not just Asiatic com countries, it's even English speaking countries oh. that it's not okay with. I uh, know when I was growing up, I could never find Ouija boards in in kids' toy stores or game stores or anything like that. And uh, I remember being in primary school, which is years three to six, uh, grade three to six, and making my own. Uh, my mm -hmm. friends and I, during recess or during lunchtime, we'd just take a piece of paper and uh, cut it up and create our own Ouija boards. And I remember even doing this in the, the bathroom sometimes. So we'd just fool, fool around with this. I remember staying at a friend's house one night and uh, her mother found us playing with this. And I didn't think they were particularly religious. Australia is pretty secular. But I remember getting into a lot of trouble and the mother actually hit her and me for, for doing that and, and said that you know, it's not the kind of thing that we should do. Uh, but I would think by and large, a lot of Australians just wouldn't believe I, I mean to this day i think a lot of 
Australians understand the idiomotor effect or have heard of that or think that there's some non-spiritual kind of explanation for it. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know how many people would think it was actually had spiritual origins. Yeah, it was really interesting. A few years ago, um, I went down there and did a paracon, and it was amazing. So many people, I mean, we had a group of core group of people who, who knew a lot about it, but a lot of people who attended it were people who had never really had any experience. Like they had their own personal experience, but they never, they didn't realize there were groups of people like, um, and so it was kind of neat to go down when I did, because it was really the beginning of a lot of organized paranormal groups. You know, it was just the beginning and their paranormal television was behind ours. They were looking to, which is terrible, by the way, for, I apologize on behalf of all Americans of anyone who looks to America as like leading the way on entertainment is terrible. Daytime television speaks for itself, but the, they were looking at um, our paranormal television as guides and really hadn't had their own yet. And, and so that was really cool. Um, but as I talked to people about Ouija boards, it's like they, everything, every subject was okay. When we got to Ouija boards, there was across the board, haha, across the board, <laughs> there was immediate fear. They had no idea what they were afraid of. It didn't matter. They didn't even know why they were afraid. Some of them couldn't say I was told when I was little or that I had a religious upbringing or whatever. It just culturally, no. And so that was a lot of fun because it was like, oh, wait a minute. So if you don't have any real, like, you don't know why you feel this way, then we can probably try to change this and have some fun. And you mentioned idiomotor response, and that's a fascinating thing because idiomotor response was the answer to early spiritualism. So Faraday and a couple of other of his associates Benjamin Carpenter and another one of his friends, they started noticing that spiritualism was on the rise by the early 1850s. I mean, just a couple years after it hits in America, it blows back across the pond. And they're like, what are these people doing? It's clearly coming from you. So Faraday actually develops these really interesting um, and really intricate experiments because people are using at this time, table tipping and table turning. And so he conducts these experiments, and all he proves is that there are no external forces that are making the table move. It's coming from you. Now, he does not answer the question as, do the spirits come through you, causing you to do it? He didn't believe in that as a potential possibility. So for him, his experiments answered the question. And um, Benjamin Carpenter comes up with the term idiomotor response, which is the marrying of the small movements in your body with your subconscious. And the Ouija board, if we talk about the Ouija board, because we want the board to work and because we ask it, it opens the door to our subconscious. Those small movements in our hands, those jerky little movements, those little movements that look like your hands shaking, they start to become fluid. And you're answering the questions, only you don't know it. You're not consciously trying to move the planchette. It's your subconscious. That's what scientists say. And then there's psychics who believe that what happens when you play the Ouija board is there's some type of telepathy, that you're starting to read each other's minds. That's the door that's been opened. And then, of course, there are people who believe that you can part the veil and that the door that's opened is between this world and the next. And what's the answer? I, this, is, this debate's been going on since, again, the beginning of spiritualism. So we don't know what happens when we die. We have beliefs, 
you know, we have religion and we have our experiences, but there's no solid proof right now as to what happens. And that's why for 1995, you can get an unlimited calling plan to the other side. If you believe no roaming, no overages, just go buy a Ouija board (laughs) because what if it does work? That's what, this is what, this is what all of our conversations are really about. It's not, does the Ouija board work? It's, can you talk to the dead? That's the real question. And because the Ouija board has been around for so long, we've seen, you talked about, um, you like technology. Well, these gadgets come and go, but the Ouija board, it's got serious staying power when it comes into spirit communication devices. Every generation rediscovers the Ouija board. And, and today it's a rite of passage at sleepovers, college parties, you know, that's and horror movies. It is the way every horror movie that ever has a spirit or a demon. It's so visual and it's so powerful because unlike so many of the devices that are around today, you're part of it. You complete the circuit. Monster dog. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. This episode of Monster Talks brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering Monster Talk listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk, browse through their unmatched collection of titles, select one, and download it. It's that easy. That's audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. When I decided to run ads for Monster Talk, going with Audible was the easiest choice because I've used it for so long. I've been an Audible member since 2003, and I listen to it all the time. I use Audible to prepare for many episodes of this show. Many of the books that we talk about on Monster Talk are available as Audible selections. My pick for this month is The Frighteners by Peter Laws. We will be talking to Peter Laws this month about this fascinating look at the ways in which horror and spooky culture can be helpful or even therapeutic, while still causing some people to give us disapproving stares. With Audible, I was able to listen to The Frighteners while I did chores, mowed the grass, and shopped for groceries. I can move seamlessly from my phone to my tablet to my computer, and Audible keeps up with my progress. 
You can select any of Audible's titles when you sign up for your 30-day trial membership at audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. But I'm happy to make Peter Law's book, The Frighteners, my suggestion for this month. To download your free audiobook while also supporting our show, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk and sign up today. That's audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. Monster Dog. With a K2 meter or an EVP recorder, you can put them down and you can ask questions. And the K2 meter blinks and the EVP recorder check, you know, picks up stuff and you have to listen to it later. All of these devices, you're not touching. The Ouija board you touch and you need your eyes and all your senses for it to work. Otherwise, it doesn't. So if you close your eyes, the, I love people who are always like, oh, we'll blindfold you and then we'll try and see if it works. Of course, it's like taking away the keys and being like, hey, does your car work? Well, yeah, if I had a key. Well, the key in this case are your senses. You have to look at the board. You have to touch the planchette. That's how it works. Taking away those things like, hey, let's see if the, if the Ouija board works if we take our hands off. It's not supposed to work that way. If it does, you've got something serious going on. I don't know what, but like if it starts moving around on its own, I would love to see that. I have seen thousands of sessions and I have never witnessed that. Um, doesn't mean it's, it doesn't happen. The lack of evidence is not evidence itself. So just because I haven't experienced it doesn't make it not true. But because the Ouija board has been around for so long and because so many people have used it, and so many people have told stories, and there are so many what we call Ouija-sticians based on these urban legends, that everyone's got a story about their best friends, grandmothers, cousins, next-door neighbor who used the Ouija board and got possessed and went into a sane asylum. I've heard all of the stories, and yet when I dig into them, very, very few times are there any facts related to those stories. But we believe because we want to believe. We want this to be true. Who doesn't want to know what happened to your mom or your dad or your kid or your aunt or your grandmother or what's going to happen to you? The whole paranormal community is looking for the same answer. And that's why I always think it's funny when paranormal people say, like, you can use all these devices, but don't use the Ouija board. That's the way that, you know, the demon gets you. It's like, really? All-powerful demon, the devil himself, looking to overthrow God Almighty. He's trying to do it one Ouija board at a time. Holy crap, that is an awful plan. <laughs> <laughs> and this is making me think about the uh, the popularity of the Ouija board too, um, as a way for the average person to be able to, if they believe in it, to communicate with the dead. Uh, and that historically you'd have people who would see a psychic medium who would act as some kind of intermediary between this side and the other side uh they'd need to have special gifts or abilities whereas if you use a ouija board that's again if you believe in it that's your way of having direct communication with oh yeah with the other side. you just nailed it you just nailed it that is how all spirit communication devices have come up there are people who claim to be mediums or psychics that believe that they might well i guess we'll stick with a medium a medium who can talk to the other side they have a gift well guess what just like everything else I don't have that gift. So like, I don't even, I'm like the worst gay ever because like, I don't dress nice. I don't like have great fashion sense. I don't know yes, what you do. to together. <laughs> no, no, it's totally true. I, I have a husband who's great for that, but I don't have those gifts. It's like, um, 
I don't know, I'm not really good at basketball, though I'm tall. But, you know, if I practice, I can get better. But there are people who are born with innate talents that the more they practice, the better they get and the more amazing they get. So like you said, there were people who claimed to be mediums who had this gift or so they were saying. I'm not even going to get into like who's faking it, who's not. There were people who believed they had this gift. Well, for the average user, they didn't have it. So they used to go and pay money, spend money, go travel someplace, have someone else be the person who would talk to the spirits for them. Well, with the Ouija board, again, just like you said, along with every other spirit communication, suddenly for a dollar, a dollar fifty, you could do this as many times as you wanted in the privacy of your own home. You didn't have to involve a stranger, right? Suddenly, this device gave you the gift. And what you hit upon was exactly how the, par- the early paranormal or the spiritualists turned their backs on the Ouija board because the spiritualists were using these boards. But when Ouija came out, it literally threw tons of people out of work. Why would you pay someone else to do something you could do yourself, especially when you're having fun? So suddenly, a device that was in their bag of tricks when they would go on investigations and they would try to see what was out there, suddenly it was a dirty word. And the very first people to come out against the Ouija board in 1890 were mediums. And they said things like, don't use the Ouija board. It's dangerous. You're dealing with unseen forces. You need someone like me, someone who is experienced in this world, to guide you through. That little seed, though based on totally monetary, totally punched them in the pocketbook, that was the beginning of Ouija-sticians. That was the beginning of you aren't, like, you don't have what it takes to use the board and not get into trouble. You need to go through someone like me. People still believe that today. And guess what? If you believe it, it's true. What makes the Ouija board so unique, so different than any other spirit communication device is we give it power. We give it power we don't give to any other spirit communication device because we believe these Ouija-sticians always say goodbye. Never play alone. Don't play in a graveyard. Burn it. Bury it. There's a million of these things out there. Because we believe that the Ouija board itself has power, whereas we look at K2 meters and EVP recorders and anything else we use as just like the telephone, we look at the Ouija board as having something more. In other words, when something goes wrong after a Ouija board session, it's get the Ouija board out of my house. I got to get rid of it. That will stop this. Okay, you've spent a lot of money. A lot of people have spent lots of money on gadgets. Can you imagine taking your phone like we're on now? We get into a huge fight. We call each other names. We swear at each other. We hang up. We're not going to take your iPhone or your droid and throw it out the window and say, I'll never have another one of these in my house again. But when that (laughs) happens with the Ouija board, that's what we do. And by doing that, we give it power. And when you believe in something, it's real to you. So when I hear all of these these cases and people tell me their personal experiences, I don't doubt that they don't believe exactly what they're telling me. What they experience is very real to them. But it all happened, whether it's true or not, because they gave it power by belief. They allowed themselves to believe that something was talking to them. And that once they opened up that portal, they couldn't close it. 
And that's what gets scary about the Ouija board. And, and I, I tell people all the time, look, I've got thousands of my whole life is dedicated to this. I'm surrounded by it all the time. Never had an experience like nothing, no, nothing like interesting, but nothing bad. It's because I believe when I sit down at the Ouija board and I ask a question, I'm in charge. There's a hang up button right at the bottom. It says goodbye. It's been there since the beginning. You used to say good eve or good night. And that's so you would say goodbye. If I believe I'm in charge, then I'm not going to get into trouble unless it's what I'm looking for. But a lot of people don't go into it with that. They ask questions like, when am I going to die? And then they're all freaked out. Oh, you're going to die in a red car. Oh, my God. For the rest of their lives, they're never going to get in a red car. Well, guess what? Red cars can hit you. (laughs) What are you going to do? Never get on a road? Like you just, my advice to anyone who uses Ouija or any talking boards are, Take it as seriously as you would the internet. Fake news. Why would a ghost believe, know anything more than you know? We don't know if that's true. We don't even know if ghosts are real. So all of a sudden you start to, if you really dig down, we've given like rules to ghosts. Oh, well, when you die, you're kind of omniscient. Well, who said that? Who said any of these gadgets work? Like, who says a ghost actually interrupts a magnetic field? We don't know that. That's just what we believe. And so all of this stuff has power. And your belief has incredible power. The the power of your mind is the most powerful gift we have been given, whether you believe in God or evolution or whatever. It is amazing. I personally really, really, really get off on thinking that you might create a ghost with your mind, that... A ghost isn't really your grandma. It's your memory of your grandma. But you want it so bad that you can actually manifest it if there's enough belief. And I don't, we don't understand the mind. It's been, it's, the brain is being studied like crazy. You know, we use 10% of our brain. What's going on with the rest of it? You know, I, there, so these are all these things that go on in my mind as I look at whether you can talk to the dead and stuff. And so the Ouija board, again, just coming back to it, the reason it is so powerful is because we give it that power. And that's where things get dangerous and scary. I think our listeners will get mad if I don't say that, that we use more than 10% of our brain. This is pedantic, but I, I, I get your point. <laughs> but I do want to say something about information theory. You, you remind me, when this whole thing started out, you talked about the Fox sisters using Knox. Uh, and then, like, uh, this was like a binary code. So, I mean, you basically, there's either a knock or there's not a knock, or there's a one knock or two knocks, uh, which is not quite binary. And then, because um, then there's silence. But you, as it's as it sort of progressed, they've added the alphabet. But has there been any kind of uh, effort to modify the board so it uses, uh, like, entire words or you know, gives out. I guess the thing that bugs me, or, or that, that surprises me, is that there haven't, or it doesn't seem like there's been that many modifications to the board. Yet, you know, all the rest of the technology for communication has gotten progressively more and more complicated. And you know, uh, so, yeah. so can you talk about some of the evolutionary changes of the device itself, in, in what ways or what yeah. variants have like been out there to sort of help get better communication? There are, if I have a thousand talking boards, there's that many more out there that I haven't even seen. And through the years, even in the beginning, 
again, there were words like good eve and good night. And that's the Victorians kind of being polite, even to spirits. You would start saying good evening. And when you were done, you would say good night. Well, they took that off and it just became goodbye because that's what we do today. So, but there are many boards like the Zeria board that are all words, like a hundred words all over it to make shortcuts. But you have a, what you're brought up is an interesting point. There have been hundreds, if not thousands, of variants of the board. They never last. The one that lasts is that very archetypal. You've got the two arcs and the line. You've got the letters in an arc, and then you have the numbers, and then you have yes, no, goodbye. The simplicity of the Ouija board is is absolute answer to your question. Why did it survive? It's simple. You don't have to put a lot between you and what you believe you're talking to. So, you know, Jane Roberts believes she was talking to, uh, through Seth, a greater consciousness. And the simplicity is what opens that door. All of the other stuff to the Ouija board is just crap. It's just more stuff between you and where you're trying to go. And there's there's a lot of um, paranormal people who believe that you are actually, you know, like – when you're trying to make contact that the reason the Ouija board works so well is because every spirit would understand how to use it. How does a spirit know how to manipulate a magnetic field? Again, if you believe one can, then you believe one knows how to do it because it does. But I would ask you, how do you know that it does? We don't even know we're talking to spirits. So people always come back to, well, Ouija boards have been around since, you know, 1886, let's go back to the 1870s. If you're talking to a ghost from that time, it would know how to use it. And if it didn't, it's pretty simple. You touch it, we want you to move it. Well, it's not so simple when you get into the other devices. So there has been this huge evolution, but all those branches die because, again, it just makes it more complicated. Interesting. I could imagine, though, very easily uh, having like a and this may already even exist now that I think about it, but having like a, a, a an iPad version of this where not only oh, yeah. th- you could like record your questions and kind of record the session so you could actually get some data out of it of, you know, how efficacious it was, you know, for answering your questions, whether right or wrong. It'd be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. There's been lots of, of plans other people have modernized. It. Hasbro, who makes the Ouija board today, it, it, the artwork's the only thing that's changed. The the Ouija board looks and acts very similar to how it did in the beginning. However, um, the hole that is in the planchette was added much later um, from the Ouija board's existence. Usually it just pointed out the device. It was actually – the reason why they put a hole in the planchette was it allowed William Fold, who made the Ouija board, to get another design patent on the board. And yet in the movies I worked in, starting in 2014, the official Ouija movies – the eye to the other side was born. That did not exist until that movie. I know uh, because I was, and I worked on it. Nice. No one ever held out the planchette and looked through it. But I'll tell you something. The day after that movie came out, every paranormal conference I go to where they're using Ouija boards, start looking through. So see, it doesn't matter that it never existed before. They so believe. Now they're all full of planchette. But <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you the size of the planchette matters. Like it matters, size matters in everything. That's what my wife says. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree with her. 
<laughs> so, Merch, you mentioned uh, William Fold, and you also spoke earlier on about uh, Headstone that uh, the Talking Board Historical Society has been raising money for. Could you just give us a little bit of a rundown of some of the main characters in the board's history? Absolutely. Um, two men would lay claim to inventing the board that would become Ouija. They do not claim to invent the talking board. Again, they, they claim to invent the board that would get its name Ouija. And that they do it in 1886, ironically, around the same time that these articles are going all over the United States about talking boards. So Charles Kennard, he's living in um, Chestertown, Maryland. He works right next door to E.C. Reich, who is a cabinet maker, a furniture maker. Um, he makes uh, like all kinds of different stuff. And he's also an undertaker. And people go to him to do all kinds of stuff. And so Charles Kennard, according to him, says he brings this idea to E.C. Reich and says he makes them like 12. It's kind of everyone wants to use them in Chestertown. Charles Kennard says, let's go into business. And E.C. Reich says, look, I got a really good business going. No one's going to buy these because you can make them yourself. And so Charles Kennard says, well, in 1890, he takes this idea to Baltimore where he meets Elijah Bond, who is a lawyer, and he cleans it up. He gives it what we think of as today's Ouija board, like the arc. You know, it's not just straight lines across. It's it's the what we think of as a Ouija board. And he changes the planchette to look like a paddle because the planchette was a huge rage back from 1853 to like, say, 1870s. So he doesn't want to repeat something. He tries to make it look a little different. And then he brings an interesting character that had been completely written out of history that we discovered at the Talking Board Historical Society, Helen Peters. This is his wife's sister, and he considers her a medium. And so one night on April 25th, 1890, they're sitting at the Ouija board, Charles Kennard and Helen Peters, and Elijah Bond is watching, and they decide to ask the board what it wants to be called. Again, this is a, according to Charles Kennard and the other members who were there. They ask the board what it wants to be called, and it spells out O-U-I-J-A. And when they ask what that means, it says good luck. And so Ouija, the Egyptian luck board, was born. Now, they apply for a patent. The patent office says, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> like, you put your hands on something, you ask a question, it just moves. Uh, I don't think so. So you're going to have to come down to Washington to show us. So Elijah Bond brings Helen Peters and they demonstrate it. According to the family and the National Archives, and I've dug both of these, I've done interviews on both the family and dug into stuff with the National Archives. They go and they ask question after question. Well, each person from the patent office says, oh, I don't really want my name attached to this because I'm going to get made fun of. So it goes all the way up to the chief of the patent office, who, according to the family, is really annoyed at this point. Like he's hired lots of people to do this job. And so he kind of jumps into the room, opens the door and says, OK, look, you don't know me and I don't know you. If that contraption can spell out my name, you've got your patent. And with Helen Peters at the board, it spells out his name letter by letter. And a visibly shaken patent officer says, you've got your patent and couldn't get out of the room fast enough. <laughs> so again, who knows? 
I like I is any of this true or did they all make up the story? I will say they're what we're what I'm telling you is from a few different sources and primary sources. Um a lot of them are letters that were written to the editor of the Baltimore Sun almost 30 years after the event. Ironically, all of them try to make the story more about them, that they had a bigger influence. But they all agree on those two stories, how the Ouija board got its name and how the Ouija board got its patent. And in fact, the very for 10 years afterwards, every advertisement would say, proven at the patent office you know, before patent was given. I noticed we're running a little short on time. You've met and exceeded my expectations for talking to you on this. (laughs) Well, that's good because the bar was probably pretty low. No, no, no. I mean, I'd heard you talk, you know, so so I I, I was expecting a lot. You're just, you're just, you're not only a wealth of information, but you speak so eloquently and effortlessly. I'm not going to have to do much editing except to clean up my own words, which is, yeah, yeah, par for the course. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about your own collection, though? So, and maybe what the Talking Board Historical Society does? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I'm the chairman of the board at the Talking Board Historical Society, and I'm sure everyone gets the joke. Um, (laughs) I started it and with a bunch of other people. Does that make you the planchette? I, you know, no, I'm still looking for that perfect planchette. <laughs> but we we organized and started the Talking Board Historical Society officially in 2014. It's It goes back a little further than that because we're kind of a ragtag band of collectors, artists, makers, anyone who's just interested in the Talking Board. But then what we kind of took it to a next level was we incorporated it as a nonprofit. And our, our mission is to basically research, protect, and preserve this history and show people so that it doesn't get lost. Like the story of Helen Peters was lost for all those years. All those years we knew the Ouija board had fathers. We didn't know it had a mother. And in this time, it's very timely as we're talking about women's rights and the Me Too movement. All of this stuff, there is a woman who literally – the Ouija board wouldn't have its name and it wouldn't have got patented. Therefore it wouldn't be here. Like she is by all definitions, the mother. And one of the things we did was ironically, we found out once who she was, I dug into, okay, where did she go? She goes to London for a bit. She comes back over here, gets into a family feud with her family, moves out to Denver, lives here for 47 years. And this is where I live now. And so she was in an unmarked grave so I found out who owned, who's the last person to own the plot. They gave us permission. And uh, we put in a, a memorial that tells the very story that I told you um, in the words of the people who said it. So not my words, but in the quotes from these um, letters that were to the editor. So if you happen to be in Denver, go to Fairmont Cemetery. You will see a gigantic uh, gravestone that has lots of Ouija board art, like the sun on the front and the moon on the back, and it will tell the story of Helen Peters. So we, this is what we do. We, we raise money and we do for plaques. We make things, historic monuments. Um, we put in memorials. Uh, we do conventions. We show up at conventions. We, we do all kinds of stuff. And so anyone who's looking for us, we have a Facebook page. Again, it's the Talking Board Historical Society. We have Instagram. We have Twitter. Um, and our website is tbhs.org. And we just released a, a brand new t-shirt. 
all the funds, 100% of anything you buy is a donation. So none of us directors get paid. No one takes a salary. All of the money that goes in goes into these projects. So, you know, go to our website, check us out, check out all the cool people. If you think I'm interesting in the least bit, I am the least interesting person on the board. We have um, all kinds of characters that are a part of this. And I invite you to like, see, like our page on Facebook. We, we put out interesting posts that just like we're talking about kind of puts things into perspective and, you know, follow us on all the different platforms. We, we greatly appreciate it. And of course, ultimately we hope we impress you enough that you will donate and then be part of the projects we do. Neat. We'll put links into the show notes. Is there a, a find a grave link for Helen? Or oh yeah, yes, we we definitely added her um, to find a grave. Same thing with uh, Charles Kennard. All of these people just got lost. We all get lost, but most of these people who are involved get lost. And for me, um, the story is always with the people. You know, the Ouija board is just an inanimate object, right? It's it's cardboard and plastic today. There's no power in cardboard and plastic. But there is because we give it. And so when you think for your listeners who are out there and they sit at the Ouija board and they really want to play, remember, the Ouija board is whatever you want it to be. And that's exactly what it was intended to do. We've got a final question that we like to uh, ask all of our guests. And I want to make this a kind of two-parter if I can. So we always like to ask our our guests, what's your favorite monster? But um, since we've got you on the show and you have such an amazing collection of talking boards, we also want to find out what's your favorite talking board? Okay, so I get this question a lot, and I know you're going to groan when you hear it, but honestly, so they're all like my children. I don't have a favorite because like, they get, I don't want to get them angry, right? I don't want anyone getting <laughs> upset. The, my favorite talking board is the next one I find that I didn't know about before. I oh. love solving mysteries and puzzles, so, mm. so it's right around the corner. My next favorite is right around the corner. Cool. <laughs> and what about your favorite monster? Oh, I got to go with vampires. I got to, I just, I growing up in a time with Anne Rice and interview with a vampire and a whole vampire series. And, and then watching how that's turned into like twilight and how like, you know, you got one vampires, like, like it's horrible to become a vampire. And then the other side where, you know, you glitter in the sun, I just watching that through time is, yeah. is a fascinating thing. Which, so. which do you prefer? Do you, do you like the, uh, the sort of sexier ones or the monstrous ones or, I like them both. I mean, I think there's, I think they've expanded on the sexy stuff because danger is sexy and bad. Like what's really evil. You know what I mean? Like being tempted, I guess is the whole thing with a vampire, right? That I was going to say it involved chocolate in some way. Yeah. So yeah, we're on the same page here. Right. So it's- <laughs> yeah, that's right. hundred um, percent. But I would say I like I like them both, but I, the, the Anne Rice ones where a whole world was created based on creatures that had powers that could decide whether to be good or bad. I really like that idea because ultimately it's just a reflection of us, all monsters. What, what are monsters? Like what are monsters? Monsters are just reflections of us. You know, we don't like to think we can do terrible things, but the most horrible thing you've ever seen is potentially inside of you. That scares me way more than any spirit. I, I am way more scared of the living than I totally am of the dead. I don't care what the dead talk to me about, what they say. I have seen upfront and personal the horrible, terrible things that people do to each other. And we like to think we've all evolved past that. And put in the right circumstances, I can promise you, people will do awful stuff. So yeah. I, I monsters are just things that 
we don't want to take credit for. So we write about them as if they're other things. Mertz, thank you so, so much for making time to talk to us. I know we faced oh, yeah, a lot of challenges. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, this was great. No, it's been fun for me. Thank you guys so much for letting me talk about something that's, you know, obviously I'm very passionate about. Yeah. And, you know, like, and again, for people, it's, it, we're, we're a nonprofit. So, you know, help us out. <laughs> yeah. TBH. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, and we'll make sure that that's in the show notes and we'll tweet it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is, is part of the collection open to the public or is all this privately held right now? It's all, mine is privately held and I own a lot, but I, we, we host these parties and um, that was kind of a fun thing to do because, you know, I'm coming into someone else's area. So I bring an experience that's on the East Coast. That's very different um, than how the Ouija board has been or is perceived here in Denver, there is way more skepticism on whether you should have Ouija boards at, around you at all here than there is on the East Coast. In the East Coast, it doesn't matter. We can get it into any museum, any exhibit. When I, I try to do that here, it's like, oh, I don't know. There's kids. And do we really, what are we saying? And that just doesn't exist on the East Coast. So I, I've learned we wanted to kind of um, bring people into the house because you know, I'm kind of the new kid on the block here. And so I want to understand better how people think and feel here. And then as I go about educating, I, ch I can change so I can address the issues that other people have with boards. Would you say that's because people are more religious here in Denver? I guess it's, they believe, I, I suppose if you believe we're part of the Bible belt, um, I, there is a lot of Baptist churches out here. I will say that way more than I've yeah. ever seen on the East Coast. Um, a lot of but, churches in general. Yeah, I don't know, I'm just trying to imagine this. I live in Georgia and, and down here, I, 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 I mean, within a museum, I could totally see it. But if you wanted to just do this like at the Civic Center, I could see there being some challenges. It'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah. We did it. Look, we did WeechaCon in 2015, the 125th anniversary of the naming of the board. And, and it happened to be the same weekend that the Freddie Gray riots broke out. So I can tell you that religious people in Baltimore, even though the mayor of Baltimore made April 25th, Ouija Day, she gave like a proclamation, um, people still blamed those riots on the fact that the city embraced its Ouija history. Wow. And that was fascinating to me. Yeah. And, and, and I smiled, even though, of course, look, what happened was police roughed up this kid and unfortunately he died. It was horrific. That should never happen. But people didn't care that that's the real story. It sounds way better that the city of Baltimore embraced its Ouija history and therefore everyone went crazy and tried to burn the city down. That makes a great YouTube video. And I've watched those YouTube videos. I actually share them. <laughs> so like, I don't, again, I, I have a, the Ouija board has two lives. It has its history and its factual life. And then it has what everyone believes and I wouldn't even dare to pull those two things apart because it's part of what makes the Ouija board special. In other words, I'm never going to be the one, nor will the Talking Board Historical Society, to demystify the mystifying oracle. Its magic is in its belief. I, I, I don't want to mess with the eloquence of that, but it's also really hard to get legends separated from facts, even if you want to. It's like, it's like trying to get hair out of a piece of chewing gum you drop. You just have to kind of give up. Exactly the same thing. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's part of its life. It's part. Yeah. What we believe matters more than facts. Just look at today. Yeah, yeah. Look no. at the news. It doesn't matter Indeed. what's true. 
<laughs> Look, no one's ever fought a war on whether the sky is blue. It, that's a fact. People fight wars over beliefs because they want you to believe the same thing as them. So belief, as we talk about belief, it is so incredibly powerful. It, it, it moves mountains. It changes everything for humans. And that's what's so interesting. The Ouija board is just a small outlet for that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Yeah, this is great. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You've been listening to an interview with Robert Murch. He is the chairman of the board of the Talking Board Historical Society. You can find lots more information about Murch, his board collection, and some of the historical figures mentioned in our show notes at monstertalk.org. Thanks again to the folks who came out to see me at DragonCon. Next weekend, September 7th and 8th, I'll be at Lexington at CryptidCon in Kentucky. I won't be a speaker, but I'm usually easy to spot with what my wife likes to call my Monster Man Purse, which is a messenger bag bedecked with monster patches from themonsterologist.com. Jeb Card will also be there, and we'll be wearing our names on our lanyard, so say howdy if you see us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. I'll see you again in episode 200. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for listening and for your support of our work. In a Monster House presentation. You really don't want me to play, huh? No, I do. Captain Howdy said no. Captain who? Captain Howdy. Who's Captain Howdy? You know, I make the questions and he does the answers. Oh, Captain Howdy, yeah, I see. Nice. Oh, I bet he is. Here, I'll show you. <laughs>